Welcome to another episode of the Powerless to Powerful Recovery podcast. My name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic and addict. As always, our mission is to share experience, strength, and hope across multiple media platforms. The story of addiction and the road to recovery. As always, we're not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step-based organizations or groups in any way. This is another episode of Season 2. Today, I'm going to be interviewing one of my good, good friends, Adam T. Welcome. Thank you, sir. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, sir. Sir sounds real good, brother. I like when you call me sir. Thank you for that. It well, is a pleasure we're, to be we're, here. We're in front of an audience, so we are in front of an audience. So, you know, we've known each other for a very long time, man. We've known each other, you know, since 2016, man, when we first met. And to be sitting here right now, the end of 2021, the holidays approaching, to have the type of lives that we have, we get to share them together, man. And it's just, it's a miracle. And I'm just super grateful, you know, and I always think about, man, you know, I want to share this with everybody. You know, the first time I meet Adam, we're both in visitation at Florence North Unit. We're in visitation together. I'm sitting there with my wife who supported me and loved me through this whole thing. And, you know, if you've been listening for a long time, you know the story and you've heard the episode. But, uh, you know, we're in visitation together, man. I remember sitting there with my wife and we look over and I see Adam over there. And uh, I hadn't I hadn't spoke to you yet. Um, I see you there and I look over and I remember you're sitting there with a girl, right? You're talking to this girl. Then all of a sudden, you know, another girl shows up. I mean, you got two ch- two girls, brother. Yeah, two girls show up. Got the kids, two girls. Was someone's mom there too? Possibly. Possibly, right? So I look over and I'm thinking, man, this dude right here has his girlfriend and his baby mom at visit at the same time. And I'm thinking, damn, this is going to be good. I better get the popcorn. I mean, I had my girl go get the quarters, brother. I mean, we got some of that fruit bowl. You know what I'm talking about. So is that what happened, man? I mean, I, I mean, we've talked about this previously, but is that what happened? You had your girlfriend and your baby mom show up at the same time. Is that what happened? I, I mean, I didn't have them show up. What what happened was the kid's mom was gone. She was out of the picture. Hadn't heard from her in a couple months. My friend Sheila. Friend. My friend Sheila. Does she know your friends? She knows we're friends. Did um, she know your friends back then? She did. But, you know, there's always manipulation when it when, – uh, when you're using, you're in your active addiction, you're in a ton of fear, everyone's leaving me in my life, I'm sitting in prison, I want to visit, and I want these things to materialize in my life so I can feel a little bit better about myself. And, you know, Sheila is, is a friend, lifelong friend. She's been a friend forever. And still um, is today, right? And still is today. Yeah. And, um, you know, I call her up and, they, would you like to come down and see me? Yeah, sure, I'd like to come down and see you. So she comes down and sees me. I have no idea. Um, that Brittany and my kids are going to show up at the same time. I mean, was that awkward? Because it looked, I mean, I watched the whole thing. It was extremely awkward. I mean, you know, I'm nosy, brother. Yeah, I, wanted yeah. to, I wanted to see the show. Well, you and Ashley were over there laughing, you know, <laughs> pointing and teasing. But uh, it, it, it was awkward. We, You know, I was sitting in there with, with Sheila and her daughter, and we're hanging out, having a good time. And here comes Brittany. And Brittany and Sheila aren't too familiar with each other. Um you know, Brittany and I are off and on, off and on, off and on. So I don't know when she is my girlfriend and when she's not at this point. Yeah. Uh, they come pulling up and um, it all all attention went to them. Sheila was a little upset. Um, we, You know, there was a little scene in visitation. You guys got the front row. Yeah, I got um, the show. But it's okay. You know, to, to, today, uh, 
today things are all situated and but at that time it was a mess yeah it was a mess brother and i'll never forget that the first time i met you man you had two girls come see you at the same damn time yeah well, i was prison yard pimping yeah you were yeah you were <laughs> and so as we continue to go along man and uh you know the big book and there is a solution talks about being members of a shipwreck man and you know the analogy they use is in our addiction we're out there stranded man in, in the middle of the ocean and we're drowning and every day is a struggle to keep our head above water it's painful Sometimes we just want to give up. We're frustrated, dude. And that's what active addiction looks like. And it talks about meeting uh, meeting brothers, man, and, and meeting this fellowship and having these people around you that help you flow better. And when you escape disaster together, man, you become family, you become brothers. And, you know, that's the case for me and you, man. We escape disaster together, dude. And today we're brothers, man. And it's just uh, something real special to me. Absolutely. And, uh, but in order to understand how we escape disaster, you know, the disaster takes a long time to really pile up until you get the gift of pain and desperation. So let's talk a little bit about what it was like that ultimately just just the progression, man, of life. And so um, what was it like growing up? You know, you, you know, you were from East Mesa. I don't want to mistake that, right? East Mesa? Up from the east side. There's central a, yes. or east? No, nope, there's a difference. Oh, there's, there's a, a difference. West, a central, and an east. Okay, no, I didn't know, brother. I didn't if know. If you know anything about it, you know, the di it differentiates, and you have you have different crowds in each okay. in each okay. uh, East station. Mesa. Yep. East Mesa. Okay, we got that squared away. East Mesa. So tell me a little bit what it was like, like your, you know, your dad, your mom, the dynamic, your siblings. Like, what was childhood like growing up for you? So originally, I was from Minnesota. Um, my earliest memories were my older brother, my mother, um, and my grandparents and, and, you know, family things. I remember going to grandparents' houses and aunt and uncle's houses. Cause that, that was the fun time. Um, my mother struggled with addiction. She struggled with alcoholism in and out of AA programs. We probably moved 12 different times, different apartment complexes. Um, you know, eating beans and rice. So we're not talking about luxury apartment complexes. Not at all. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Um, I, I would get a haircut maybe two times a year and it was a full shave. Um, you know, it, that that that's what life kind of looked like. But it was OK because, uh, you know, I was with my mom. It didn't matter. I loved her no matter what. But we definitely were not uh, blessed with any type of, um, you know, money. There, sure. was, there was there was no assets involved and sometimes you know when you're younger you know and that's the only thing you know i mean some you know you really don't know any better you see kids at school and they have other things and nicer clothes but to you you know that's just what it's like for you um so that's kind of what you know your mom and your dad are they still married what's that look like no they're 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 both when they get they get divorced when they get divorced yeah so was you know, that, they were divorced by the time I was six months old. Yeah, they were um, divorced young, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was it was a it was a nightmare for my mom. You know, she 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 would rarely see him. He wouldn't help out. I think I met him three times, um, you know, before we ultimately ended up moving to Arizona. He used to just beat the hell out of her, man. She would have bruises all over her face and it, it was it was bad. And so he. Not only was he my dad and I loved him and I wanted him around, but he was also a character of this guy's scary. This guy is like, you know, that not just that father figure, but he's that intimidator when he comes around, you act right. Um, so, you know, there, he wasn't he wasn't involved too much, but it didn't there wasn't an effect that I noticed. But deep down in me as a child, it had to have played a part in my later on addiction of, of life. 
Sure. And when we work the steps, man, we really do some soul searching and we look over the, you know, the things and the events and the circumstances that happen to us as kids, you know, they definitely play a part in it. You know, I think about that a lot because we come from different childhoods, man. I come from a privileged childhood. You don't. And, you know, we ultimately we end up in the same place. You know, not everybody who comes from broken homes ends up doing multiple prison sentences. Not everyone from great homes ends up becoming doctors and lawyers and, and all those types of things. You know, um, there's no set guideline or rule, you know, with with addiction, man. Once you cross that point, man, it does not discriminate. You know, so childhood was rough for you, you know, growing up. But ultimately, there was a point in time when um, you went to Minnesota for the holidays or, you came from Arizona, you went to Minnesota and you went out there, you thought you were going out there just for just for Christmas and the holidays to see the family and the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents. And then and then what happens with that? First of all, I love that this show is unedited. I love it. Um, yeah. So seventh grade, you know, I'm, I'm going to school. I'm already stealing stuff. I just steal my own school clothes. I get caught at Dillard stealing Looney Tunes shirts. You know, that was a big thing back then. Which one? Uh, you know, the one with, with uh, the rooster and oh. the Tasmanian devil kind of showed all like the main characters. And oh, you wanted the whole I thing. I wanted the whole kit and caboodle. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hear you, bro. Yeah, it was a Monday. I wanted to look Yo, good. looking fresh. So, uh, you know, and, and I'm out robbing ice cream trucks because there was a few, you know, the Mexican guys like to sell the ice cream. Mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, I'm doing all that, that crazy stuff. And it never dawned on me that why, why would I be out at that age? Well, what am I doing out on the streets and my bicycle and in, in fifth and sixth grade at eight 30 to 12 o'clock at night? And mom never even cares. It doesn't really matter. Right. So she's in active addiction. Uh, we get a babysitter. I'm in seventh grade and it was probably a week before Christmas or, and, uh, she never comes back home. And, you know, by that time, my mother had, remarried to this guy rod Mm -hmm. and rod was uh cooking meth in in the in the house and we didn't know about it and they were you know running around doing things that that addicts do and they never returned home no i remember just sitting there with an empty pizza box watching tv and and i have a little brother and sister at this point and we're all there and um my step-grandma comes walking through the door and she's like, pack your guys' stuff. And she was mean. Her name was Rose Cockle. I mean, she was the oh, real deal. Sounds like a yeah. mean name. That's a mean name. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, she comes walking through and we packed our stuff and we got on an airplane, my older brother and I, and, and uh, my younger sister and my younger brother got on an airplane. They went to California and we went up to Minnesota to, to live with my father that I hadn't seen in however many years. Yeah, so you end up going out there, you're going out there for the holidays. And how long do you end up staying out there? I was out there around three or four years. Three or four years. Yep. So you finally realize at some point that you're not coming back and you, and you start going to school out there. And, you know, obviously, you know, you're missing your mom and you can't understand why. You know, we, we get these, you know, when we experience abandonment as a child, man, that, you know, I've had the privilege of teaching a lot of groups, especially for my job. And, you know, there's a lot of characteristics that we adopt just from abandonment, man. And, and it causes so many effects as we as we get older and some we don't even realize that it stems from abandonment. So you realize your mom's not coming back. You're missing your mom. You're, you're permanently out there now and you start going to school out there. What was that like for you? Oh, it was terrible. Terrible. Yeah. What's terrible look like? Well, first of all, you know, I get out there. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where my mom is. I'm in seventh grade and, and there's just a lot of fear associated with it. Mm. I'm in a new environment. You know, we, we go from the airport where my grandmother picks me up, brings me out to my dad's house where he's living in the attic of some house. He's a severe alcoholic, cocaine and heroin addict. Um, you know, and, and 
and we go to sleep that first night and I'm in the bed with him in a twin bed in the attic. My, my older brother's on the floor next to us. We have one of those moving blankets to keep us warm. In a Minnesota, it's negative 13. Oh, did you say moving blanket? We're talking about like We're the, talking like... one of the gray ones, just like we get in prison. Oh, okay. Now yeah, I know. Same thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's under there drunk, farting in the blanket, and Ooh. I'm I'm freaking. I, I don't know what to do. Oh, I'm scared to death. I don't know what this is going to look like. We have, you know, minimal clothes. The clothes that we do have aren't Minnesota clothes. Um, you know, we don't have sweatshirts and we're not prepared what, at what, all. What'd you wear in Arizona? What are we talking? Oh my let's, God. Let's date yourself for a second. We're talking Jinkos and interstates. Right. Not to mention, yeah, <laughs> I come from a different environment, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and I'm wearing, you know, tagger jeans and, and, uh, rolling hard shirts. And that's what we wore back in the day. That was the cool thing. They're up there wearing Preppy? Abercrombie. Okay. All right. And, you speaking know, my language. Right? Yeah. All these things. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and I don't fit in at school, right? So that's a that's a trip. People, you know, people calling me wigger and all this other shit. I'm fighting probably two times a week at school. Are you winning fights or losing fights? Like it's me? it's it's a good 50 Oh, 50 you know, oh, um, I broke my hand for the first time in eighth grade. Uh-huh. Um, you know, punching a kid and and getting you know I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to involve myself in sports, but I'm getting pushed back because I'm just I'm just not social like Man. socially accepted at this point. Um, so I start reclusing. Sure. Not to mention that I've been smoking weed since I was in fifth grade, drinking alcohol. Now I'm in a place where I want to go do you those know, things. On. You say drinking alcohol. What, I mean, you look like you drink Zima. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Zima. Yeah. Oh, we're talking St. Ides? No, what's what's the what's the the wine coolers? Oh, you're drinking Mad Dog? Yeah, we're drinking the Mad Dog 2020. 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so you start drinking, you're smoking weed, you're in a school, you're not feeling accepted, you know. And a lot of us, you know, we we start to really isolate, man. And you know, we talk about, you know, throughout all the different podcasts I've done and, and you know, as we start to work recovery, we learn about um relationships, man. We learn about well, you know, a lot of us are very familiar with codependency. A lot of us, you know, aren't familiar with interdependence, which was the healthy relationship. But a lot of us are extremely familiar with counterdependence. And what's that? That's like isolation, man. And, and at some point, and, and once our addiction progresses, man, we, we become counterdependent where we don't want to be around anyone. We don't want to answer the phone. We just want to get our drug of choice and, you know, laptop and get weird and, and you know, and close us ourselves off. But we start to do that and become counterdependent when we don't fit in, uh, when we come from broken homes. When, when things aren't going good at school, when we don't have friends, when we're consumed by fear, you know, we start to do those things. And that's what you start to do. You start to isolate, right? Um, at some point, you said you were there for about three or four years. You're in Minnesota. And then you end up coming back to Arizona. You come back to East Mesa. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah, I appreciate that, brother. See, I do listen to you when you speak, brother. You didn't think I listened all these years. Well, I've been speaking to you for since 2016 probably oh, right. four or okay. five hours at a time because oh, you know i like to talk yeah, and you, you picked like up about four key things on there but i appreciate it you know that they say that within the first 30 seconds of someone trying to talk you're already thinking about how you can cut them off and how you can interject your opinion you do that to me let every me tell let me tell you about something oh yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> so you come back you know you come back to east mesa and you start, you know, you start, if you're anything like me, I remember I have a younger brother, man. All he wanted to do was hang out with me, hang out with my friends. You know, was that your experience too? You know, you come back, your brother's older, um, and you start hanging out with his friends. What's that time period look like for you when you come back? Absolutely. I, you know, I, I have, I have a few friends cause I did a couple summer visits over there. 
um, you know, at my, at my mom's new house with her new, with her new husband. So Rod's um, gone. Rod's gone. Rod's gone. He's out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I come down I hang out and I meet some, some, some pretty good friends, but they're not quite into the things. They're not quite trying to escape as much as I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I get, I get hooked up with my brother's friends. He's in high school. So what's you know, that look like? High school parties? Well, he's a, he's like a football and a track star. Oh, so we're talking keggers. Yeah, so we're, we're going to keggers, and we're hitting the big houses, and we're, you know, we're partying. And desert parties? Desert parties. And, uh, you know, I decided to drop out of school, and I'm going to become a full-time uh, drinker on Saturday nights. Maybe Friday nights, too. Hmm. America Online's coming on. Oh, AOL? AOL just, uh-huh. just hitting the market. I so remember I'm, those days. It took, yeah. took – 13 minutes for that new picture to come up. Oh, shit. I'd gosh. already be done before that picture came up, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had it rough back then, didn't yeah, we? The whole works. Yeah. 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 Like three chat rooms. Yeah. The Mesa chat room, the Scottsdale and the Phoenix. Oh, the party crews. You were on the party yeah, crew I was chats. On the party crew chats. Okay. And, and, you know, some of his uh, friends had graduated and they got houses. And I was full time hooking up the parties on America Online, sending out the invitations to everybody in the, in the, in the towns. And people would show up. So I love doing that, right? That that's was ego, right? Ego. That's ego. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make this happen for you guys. We're going to get this going. Uh, and I'm drinking all the time. I'm constantly drinking. I'm not working. Um, I'm hanging out. The neighbor kid across the street loves to drink and smoke weed. He's on juvenile pro- probation or parole or something. And, you know, we're hanging out in his shed. Oh, the shed. Yeah, oh, the yep. shed life. The shed life. Yeah. Oh, I walk over there. Life. I get high, drink a couple 32-ounce Bud Lights, go back to my house and play Gran Turismo. Oh, Gran Turismo. Yep. No consequences. No consequences. Zero, right? Zero consequences. And so just like anything, man, it's the progression, you know. And when I think back, you know, I tried to relive high school for 20 years, man. The keggers, the parties, when I had some control and I enjoyed it and it was fun. That's the only thing my disease ever wants me to remember is when it was fun in high school, man. And uh, I'm approaching 40 years old. That was a long time ago. And I always have to remember that my brain plays tricks on me and it only wants me to remember those times. But just like anything, man, those times end, man. And, and ultimately, we start to find harder drugs. When, when was it when you first started to find meth, man? What was that like? What was your first experience using using meth? Well, I kind of had two first experiences. Okay. Mm-hmm. The first, yeah, you know, dropping out of high school, not having a job. You were 16 when you dropped out of high school? I was 17 yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I was 16, dropped out of high school. Oh, school of hard knocks on your Facebook, brother? Yeah. Oh, I hear you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Right at it comes right before that picture yeah. with your shirt off with yeah. the flex, huh? Hood school, hood yeah. schooled. Okay, uh-huh. and um, you know, it, it's 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 so crazy to to look back and 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 rewind the tape and look at all this stuff that had gone on because I just look and go, yeah, you idiot, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, you had all these opportunities and all these chances, but I'm I'm out in the neighborhood and I'm robbing people's houses. And I'm stealing cars. I don't even have anyone to sell the stuff to, but I'm parking them in the desert. I'm doing all these crazy things. Once in a while, I'll find a friend that's willing to go for a joyride with me, and we'll just go beat the crap out of these cars. Mm-hmm. I'll hook up the stereo systems that I got. I've got to put house. a stereo in it. I do all this stuff, right? Yeah. And um, you know, it, it it does. It just it just progresses from there. It and I have to try to figure out how to take care of myself. Put on this uh this, this, this show that I'm okay. And I'm doing good. Now I got some clean clothes. I got a little money in my pocket. You know, things, things aren't as bad as they seem. And I'm going to be a hustler and a, and a drug dealer. Cause that's, you know, all the guys in my, 
Big shout out to Danny D. Oh, Danny D. Yeah, you know Danny oh, D. Okay. Big shout yeah, out. Yeah, big shout out to Danny D. He was uh he revolutionized my my crime sprees and you know we were already we were already doing things that we weren't supposed to be doing when these guys would get out of prison that were paving the way in that lifestyle for us. Um, you know, we wanted to be those guys. You know, they have the women, they got the cars, they got the dope, they got the money. Everybody respects them. They're they're toting guns around. They're on parole, so that makes them even cooler. Oh, yeah, you never even been to prison. Uh-huh. You don't even know what it's about, uh-huh. and you're going, "Oh, that dude, that dude's kind of a badass." Yeah, it turns out like you know what well, we thought. You know, the cool kids were like we were way wrong, way wrong. <laughs> we were way wrong. You know, and and so we have those examples around us, man. And, and that's ultimately what we strive to be. We strive to be on parole. We strive to go to prison. We strive to have stolen vehicles and guns and the late. I mean, those are the things that we, I mean, our belief system is so misconstrued that it causes so many problems, man. And it's hard to shake those types of things. So you start using meth when you're 17 and um, you, you walk in and your brother's in the garage. And I remember you telling me something about this and you know, what happened the first time you used meth? Something about a bobby pin and a hot bowl. Oh, it was insane. We were at a kegger party and Ian never showed up to it. He had been disappearing. And all the guys were like, where's your brother? I knew where he was at. I borrowed a friend's truck. I drove over there. It's probably one o'clock in the morning. I go inside. I had given my brother some stolen things uh, to give me some money for this kegger. Mm-hmm. And he's in this garage and they're smoking, they're smoking uh, meth. And... I, I hated it. I couldn't stand it because I never would be a tweaker. I never wanted to be a tweaker. Let these me guys, try it. Yeah, these guys riding around on 20-inch bicycles. Not you, me. You know, and then you got the, the, mm-hmm. the dope dealers. But, you know, I, not me. Not me. Not me. I might be a high school dropout. I might yeah. fucking drink. I might not have a job. I might do these things. But at least I'm not that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided to take a hit of that pipe. And I sat in that garage all night, um, you know, trying to smoke something that wasn't there mouth moving around uh-huh. did you, know, you get a blister on the lip dude and i got it all oh, my all hands that. were black from the lighter you know how it goes <laughs> yeah. all over your face uh-huh. you know what a, what a wreck like a special yeah. op marine corps member yeah went back <laughs> to my house that day and i was supposed to go to another party that night my buddy comes over to the house and i'm sitting in the bathroom with a bobby pin stuck in my forehead trying to get a zit out from the back of my skull did you get it there was, it was never there. It was there. It was never there. That's a funny thing, you know. And I, and he picks me up, man, and was like, well, "Did you what use a tweaker remedy? To, did you use a tweaker remedy? I did. Oh, you did. Yeah, I had oh, a, a boiling pot of water, thinking that if I if I if I get this humidity, this hot this hot water from this uh, from this pot, and I stick a towel over my head, oh. it's gonna make my face clear up." Oh. So I'm in the bathroom, you know, it looks like I'm praying to something. I'm on all knee, you know, I'm on Did it work? my knee. Not absolutely. And I think it made it worse. <laughs> it made it worse. <laughs> so your friend comes to pick you up. He takes one look at you. And then what happened? You say, sorry, this party ain't for you today, brother. The word was, was spread from there. Not all to right. mention they, they questioned when they came back to that garage. Cause I hid in the house when he came to pick his truck up. I, I told the girl that was there, Hey, tell him I'm passed out. Yeah. and give him his keys yeah I'm, I'm asleep so now some weird things are going on with adam not just ian mm-hmm. and so you know and that's what happens man and you know and to take it back a minute what you said not me at least i don't do that at least i don't shoot up at least i don't at least i don't at least i don't man and as we look over every single thing that i've ever said at least i don't and never me 
that was me. It became me. Everything that I said was never going to be on the table. It all was on the full uh, table. It was a full table. And some. And some. And, and some, some more. Yeah. We invented some new things. Yep. <laughs> we sure did over there in the tents. Oh, my goodness. I mean, man. I don't want to bring up Josh S. and Felony, but that's for another <laughs> podcast and another time. You know who you are, Josh. Yeah, yeah, you know who you are. So, you know, once the meth kicks in, man, you know, just like anything, dude, it's the progression, dude, the frequency, the the crimes, you know. So during this next period of time for multiple years, did you have like a crew you ran with or, you know, is there a specific like, you know, we usually we usually attach to one dude who, who likes six gear like us, who won't talk us out of things, who's willing to commit crimes. Um, and we get to do those things. Did you have anyone specific or a crew? In the beginning, there was a there was a there was a couple people. There was a there was a guy named Travis M. Um, when he was out of juvenile, uh, you know, pro or, or the juvenile program, mm-hmm. the Black Canyon City or whatever yeah. that is up there. When he was out, I would I would love to go over there. This this, this kid was really good looking. He dressed mm-hmm. really nice. He had it going on, and you know, I I thought that's what I want to be. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be doing this stuff, that's what I want to be. Sure. Um, but he wasn't out of jail very often. Uh, so you didn't hang out very much. We didn't hang out did. very much. But when we did, we, we tried to set it off as mm-hmm. much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a couple friends like that, man. I had two, which are both sober now, 10 years through the fellowship. Dude, and you get us together. And, you know, it's always funny. Like my parents would say, you know, they would always, all of our parents would blame it on each other. You know, it's sure. like, it's his, he's the leader. Oh, it's his thing. But we were all that way. Like that's, you know, we, yeah. we got hyped over that. Like, let's see how much crime, how much trouble we get in tonight. We're never talking each other out of it. Well, it can't be your kid. No, it's no, not mine. Not my kid. It's the influence from him. Uh-huh. He's a bad person. Uh-huh. Stay away from it's him. them. Not well, my if you son. make me stay away from him and go find another one, <laughs> which I did. I found Donald P oh, and, no. um, you know, he was, he was legit mm-hmm. insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we rode three wheelers together and bulletproof vests and, he had uh, oh, murdered, 50 cent. Yeah. Oh, 50 cent. Yeah. Okay. He had murdered uh-huh. a couple dudes in, in, the, in the neighborhood. Cops were, were looking at and investigating, uh, or it was, it was, it was so crazy. Um, and I, I, I loved it because I thought, well, I'm Donald's friend. Although I, I never have the balls to commit a murder. Yeah, I can sure. never do that. But my boy did. Yeah. 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 You know, my boy, yeah. well, you know, you know, it didn't last long though. Cause everyone knew what he was doing. He ended up getting shot and killed by the cops. Sure. Um, you know, and, and it always ends that way. You know, we always think that we're going to be different. It won't happen to us and and we're not going to go down that path, but it always ends the same. So during this stretch and the people you're hanging out with, man, we're talking about stealing cars. We're talking about stealing quads. We're talking about stealing trailers. We're talking about, you know, burglaries, you know, multiple burglaries, breaking in anything you could possibly do. Parking. I remember you showing me pictures on the yard where you got six different vehicles in your yard. I mean, <laughs> and you're putting systems in all of them, lifting them putting stolen plates on there like they're yours and some of them you were able to turn into becoming your vehicles because you know um another one of them tweaker uh tricks another one of those backdoor uh-huh. tricks yeah yep. stunt number 47 <laughs> it's an oldie but a goodie brother and you know all the stunts that's what i love about you, you know all the stunts um and so we look over that time and run around with guns and bulletproof vests and we do all these things you know and ultimately that always leads to jail man and so um but previous, so you did a six-month uh, um, jail sentence in 2003. You did six months, and you got out, and you got some news about your dad. What was that like? Yeah, I had done, I had done like a two-month, a three-month, mm-hmm. another three-month, and I'm in there for six months at the end of 2002, beginning of 2003. I get out, and um, I'm, I'm probably three days out, and I'm sitting over at a dope house with my older brother, and uh, my mom calls. 
And, but guess what? She calls her cell phone, you know, because I don't have my own. Oh, you got mom's cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm a gangster. Uh-huh. Doing big and, things. And, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm hanging out and she says, hey, your dad's on life support in Minnesota. Um, you guys need to go up there. I'd gotten some money uh, previous to that from a car accident I was in when I was five years old. I was left unattended. I ran out in the middle of this road, got smashed. Smashed? <laughs> Just broken off by an old yellow uh, Chevette. Chevette. Yep. Mm. And, uh, you know, I broke my, you know, broke, broke my leg, my arm. And uh, so I, I had some money coming to me and my mom put it away for a college fund. And, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually using it for the school of hard knocks. Mm-hmm. And every year I get a $6,000 chunk of it and I, and I go to buying dope and, you know, cars. But anyways, so I, I have that money and I use that money and I, I take my brother and myself up to Minnesota and I fly. But before we go, guess what I have to get? Oh, you got to pick up. I got to pick up some dough. Oh, you have to pick up. Yep. So and if pick- I buy it, then my brother will take it. Oh, so I buy okay. it. You he, take yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, it goes hand in hand. Yep. I buy, you take. Yep. And so ultimately you buy, you take, and you get on a plane and you head up to Minnesota and you know, your dad's on life support. So again, you're, you're on a plane, right? You picked up, you paid, your brother took it. You're on your way out back out to Minnesota and your dad's on life support. So what happens when you get to Minnesota? There've been some family that I haven't seen for quite a while. And there was no communication. When I got back down to Arizona, I just completely forgot about them. And I knew my mother was in contact with them, letting them know what was going on. And I kind of had to face that fear. Sure. And it was difficult. I, I get off the plane. Um, and you're high, right? And I'm high. Cousin picks me up, carts us over the air or the, the hospital. And I walk in and I, I see my dad. And it's, it's, um, you know, it's devastating at the time, but it's not. Our relationship was never really. It was non-existent. There was non-existent. Um, I felt bad for him. I didn't want him to die, but I was kind of emotionless. And you know, my grandmother and, and my aunt had made a suggestion. Hey, I think it's time, but you guys have to make the decision. And it was, it was you know, I sat there and talked to him for a little bit. told him I loved him. He had bad diabetes. Um I grabbed his feet because his feet always hurt. And I knew like I didn't get a response from it at all. And I I, I didn't know what to do. So I just took the suggestion of go ahead and tell the doctors to pull the plug. And then we went on about our business. I was up there for about a week and a half. We had a funeral for him. Um, So you you think about that a lot. You know, we've talked previously, you know, when we get into recovery, we start to really dive into all these um, events and circumstances in our life. And we start to understand how they affected us. And I know that affected you for, for quite some time, you know, having to make that decision, feeling um, emotionless as well, you know, the non-existent relationship, you know, and ultimately we have to deal with those things. And that's ultimately what recovery is all about is dealing with those untreated negative emotions from events and circumstances and things that have happened to us. So you have the funeral, you're there for about a week or so, and then you come back to Arizona, East Mesa, um, East Mesa, brother. Yeah, you know what it is. Uh-huh. East Mesa, Mesa <laughs> Crew. I mean, there's some affiliation. Oh, you know, all some affiliation. Oh, 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 Mr. 305. Oh, Mr. 305. <laughs> I hear you. Um, and so you come back, man, and, and you know, you jump right back into it. And ultimately, that leads in, in you know, about 2004, you do a, a year in county jail, right? I do. I, 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 I come back from my dad's funeral. I'm off and running again. Travis M is out. We're doing the most. 
Um, you know, I, I thought I had been paranoid for a while and, you know, there was like helicopters and, and the same cars in the neighborhood parking down the street. And, um, you know, we've been doing some things we weren't supposed to be doing, getting it, you know, as the progression and the disease, uh-huh. you know, moves forward, you, you ultimately want to do more. And the crimes get greater. And do worse. And so do the consequences. And so do the consequences. And, um, you know, we ended up getting in a, in a, in a high speed chase and, getting ran down and tased and you know, all these things happened to us. Oh, you got tased? Yep. Did and you these, shit your pants? These, I did. You and did? These, okay. Yeah, uh-huh. these crazy things happened to us, and uh, I end up in county jail. And I don't know how it happened, but I got a year. Um, you know, and it, it, it was it was terrible. I'm sitting in county jail. I'm in the old Madison Street, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that was the called. Horseshoe. The horseshoe. Mm-hmm. I'm up top on the fourth floor. Um, you know, and, and I'm doing a year in County. And so you ultimately, you end up getting the alpha program and you go to the tents and, you know, for all the listeners, you know, we have a lot of listeners around the country and, you know, several different uh, countries around the world and, you know, Maricopa County jail, man, the conditions are ridiculous. And especially we're talking about tents outside 115, 120 degree weather. You get two peanut butter sandwiches. Sometimes they have jelly, unless they've been people are getting caught with a bunch of hooch. They take the jelly away. You get an orange in the morning uh, and some ginger snaps. (laughs) Right? It's absolutely the worst. And then for dinner, you get slop, two meals a day. You don't even know what it is, you know. And you used to have that old fish slop, and there was all those rumors about emu slop because you got an emu farm. You know, and, it's and, real. The meat, the meat was a green, brown, yeah. and all kinds of different I mean, it's, colors. It's almost not even edible. And you're out in, the, in a tent, and they roll the sides of the tent up in the middle of the day, and you're just sweating. No coolers. No coolers. You got a fan, and if your if your bunk is is uh, you know the farthest away from the fan, I mean, you can't even sleep at night. So honey, you do a year like that, you know. And I you know we both have multiple years in county jail, and and I spent multiple. The tents are actually closed down now due to just the inhumane conditions. They're closed down now. I'd like to give a big shout out to whoever promoted that and made it happen. There's probably multiple people, but thank God and thank you. Shout out Sheriff Penzone, brother. Thank you for that. Yep. Uh, you know, and all lives matter. You got a you got a gift card coming. Yeah, we'll put that checks in the mail, brother. And, uh, you know, so we think about all these things, you know, and when we're in, in those circumstances, we always tell ourselves that, you know, um, sometimes we don't tell ourselves this, but a lot of times we're going to do different. I'm not coming back here. I'm, I'm going to change my life. We come up with all these goals and dreams and goals you don't achieve are just good ideas. And, you know, we had a lot of good ideas and, and I'm sure you did then too. So you do that year, um, you have a girl that's riding with you the whole time and, you know, and, and what happens when you get out and after doing that year in 2005? I go to get out. I have these great plans. Um, I'm there was a riot in the tent. I'm in the oh, hole. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm I'm I, I'm on the phone with my girlfriend. Don't worry about it. They're releasing us at two o'clock in the morning. I'm just gonna grab a cab, and I'm gonna shoot over your house. Straight to you. Yep. I'm coming home. She bought me all these presents, and they're under the tree. And we had these these these. I'm gonna come home, and I'm gonna work. I'm gonna do all this stuff. I I get released. I walk out, and uh, if everyone's ever been released from a stray jail. You know, you go down that little that that, that little road. It's uh-huh. all lit up, and then you're on whatever that is, Lower Buckeye Lower or something. Buckeye, yep. Yeah, Circle K. Yep, by the Circle K. Uh-huh. You got to take a left, but you know, it, and this car drives by, and this chick's hanging out, and she's like, "Adam!" <laughs> I can't see anything. Right, I'm like shocked by these lights. I've yeah. been sitting in the hole for the last eight days, uh-huh. and uh, 
It's Michelle. It's one of my ex-girlfriends. And then Melissa, a girl from the neighborhood. Oh, we've been waiting for you to oh, get two, out. And two girls again. Two girls again. Just like visitation. Yeah, pull up. They're drunk. You know, okay. uh-huh. I'm thinking, oh, God. I haven't talked to them a, a, a bit since I've been in there. And, and they want to take me down. Everyone's waiting for me to get out, they say. They're waiting for this. And I knew what to do. I knew it. Do not get in the car. Get in the cab. Go home. Go home. Go home. Go home. But guess what I do? I mean, you got in the car. I got in the car. Oh, sure of course did. I did. They had a pack of Marlboro Reds. Oh, I was 100s? a smoker at the time. 100s? Nope. Just just the regulars, you oh, know, okay. Marlboro Reds, okay. the, the cowboy killers. Okay. I'm in the car, and, and next thing you know, I'm on the cell phone. We're talking to everybody. I'm going to a house. I go straight to a dope house. There's like 15 people there. Everyone's partying. It's 3.30 in the morning at this point, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to explain myself? Uh, and, it, and it just, you know, it just unfolds from there. I don't do anything different. I end up, uh, I'm in Phoenix the next day with a guy I met in jail. Cause you know, you always meet these oh, guys yeah. in jail, oh, solid yeah. ass dudes. Solid, solid. I'm getting out and we're going to do some things. We're going to make yeah. some stuff happen. I'm in the middle of some street in Phoenix. I don't know about, cause I've never been there before. Maybe union Hills or something. Uh, union Hills. Yeah, who, who knows? Yeah, right. Uh-huh. I'm down there and, and, and we got baseball bats and we're beating the car up and he's beating the guy up and the cops are coming and, I mean, you're not even out 24 hours. Haven't been out 24 hours. And you keep in mind, you got the girl who just rode out and a whole year the, with I you. I got the presents under yeah. the tree. Here's the funny thing. I, I have this girl. She's sober. She's sitting next to me. We're in a stolen car because they came and picked us up from East Mesa. The guy who's driving that I met in jail is reaching over and excuse me if I use any kind of foul language. He's finger banging this chick. Really? Sticks his hand in the back seat and says, smell this. And my girlfriend about shit on herself. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my God, this is the real deal. And he's got a red dog. Remember red dog? Oh, I remember red dog. Got a red dog uh-huh. in between. No stereo system. Shout in out, it red dog. They, big shout out. And they ripped it out. Did you and smell the fingers or did you not? I did not smell the fingers. If I would have smelled the fingers, I probably, you know, I probably would have got slapped or something. But yeah. I, granted, I didn't want to smell the fingers. Good call. Good call. Yep. Okay, so, you know, this happens so quickly, man, and, and, you know, it's so critical that when we get out of jail and we do these things, man, that immediately we put our program into action, and thank God that this last time we both got out, we put our program right into action in our lives and the blessings and the miracles and the promises. It's just a direct reflection of getting plugged in right away, but you weren't ready to get plugged in. You didn't even know how to get plugged in, um, and so ultimately you jump, you know, right now, now we're talking like big league crimes, big league crews. We're talking to you know, the progression of the crimes and the level of the people and the gang involvement and everything is the progression. And just like we said previously, the consequences become even greater. And so in 2006, um, you catch a a six and a half year prison sentence. Um, You know, what type of charges was it? You know, was it gang uh, rope program yet? Was it was it any of those things when you caught your first major prison sentence in 2006? Not yet. Not I was not on the rope program. Um, thank God, but I was a repeat offender. Uh, you know, we were, we were doing things that we weren't supposed to be doing, but at this time I want to be doing them bigger, you know, so I'm out, we got, we're, 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 we're taking semi trucks. We're, we're doing, you know, commercial things and like things. Goodfellas. No, not, I mean, Goodfellas is pretty serious. That's some okay. serious shit. You know, okay. right, I'm good. not, a, I'm not a mobster or anything, but, okay. uh, you know, we're, we're doing things we're not supposed to, I get hemmed up with, with, uh, with, uh, you know, $20,000 copper receipt. And I go to I go to prison over it. Oh, you scrapping copper? We were we were, we were scrapping uh-huh. copper, and this is when it was like two dollars a pound, and we thought we'd hit the thing. People mm-hmm. are out stealing stuff off the air conditioning units, and I'm out sure. stealing commercial generators that are hooked up to semi trailers and stolen semi trucks and all this stuff. And 
Um, and it catches up to you and you catch a case. And it catches up to me and I, and I, and I catch a class two felony, um, which, 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 which led to a, a three after I, uh, pled down to it. But you know, I'm, I'm in prison. I got a six and a half year sentence. I'm terrified. Sure. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, you know, I, I'm stuck. I'm on the yard. Uh, I, I get high my first, my first couple months of there. Um, did you get high the whole time you were there? Was it sporadic? I did you off, could? And on, off and on, off and on. Yeah. And it was one of these things where I used to tell people, well, I was sober in prison. Cause to me, that was, I'd use every once in a while. I'm yeah, not sober. Addict. That's yeah. sober to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I catch hepatitis C. I don't care. Sure. I'm getting tattoos. Everything's good. I'm, I'm kind of laying low, but kind of not when the boys hit the yard, you know, cause everyone from East Mesa is in prison. Uh huh. Um, it, you know, it, it's like it, a reunion. It's like a reunion. Sure. It's, a, it's a fun family time. And, you know, but I, I got, I built this relationship with my mother while I was there and she would come and see me. She was my biggest supporter and biggest fan. We got to talk about so many things from my childhood and, you know, what bothered me. And, and I got to make this amends, even though I wasn't in the program about who I was as an individual, but I never made plans. I never did anything. I thought I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do my time and I'm good. That's it. Once I'm done with my time, yeah, I did some push-ups, did some pull-ups, hit a couple church services, Mm. you know, told God I I need him in my life. And then, you know, went out on the yard, smoked cigarettes and worked out. Sure. And so ultimately, you know, and a lot of times, man, like prison becomes wasted time. And I know I wasted a lot of years, you know, but the last three years I did and, you know, we both did together in recovery do was such valuable time. And again, our lives reflect that today. How, how amazing is that? I mean, that's insane. I, I I'm really looking forward to, you know, when we get through this, this part to get into that and talk about the leadership, um, whatever happened spiritually, God's plan, God's work, the, the effect that that yard had on our lives and we were able to bring it out of those gates today and, and you know, to see you, to see the other guys and where you're at today in your lives, man. And it, I cherish it. I love it. I mean, we're getting ready to have a, a Christmas party, man, at Top Golf with 30 plus guys that we were all in the yard together, which is unheard of. And we're all sober. We're all not just surviving, but we're thriving. And we get to share these experiences together, man. That's what life's all about. So ultimately, you get out um, 2011, you get out, you're on high risk parole. So you get out on high risk parole and, you know, we know what high risk parole is. We know what intense probation looks like. We know that there's going to be a whole bunch of rules and there's a whole bunch of stipulations and a whole bunch of things we can't do. And, you know, if you're anything like me, it's safe to say that uh, your actions reflected exactly what you weren't supposed to do. And if you're like me, you probably blamed your shitty probation officer. Um, Maybe you didn't, maybe you not, maybe you didn't, but uh, maybe not. So what were your actions? What did they look like when you jumped out 2011 on high-risk parole? What did that look like? I needed to get in good with my PO. I needed her to see that I wasn't this individual that I was portrayed to be on paper and this individual that got these prison sentences. I needed to report two times a week. Um, I was taking UAs. But guess what doesn't come up in UAs? Alcohol. Sure. I'm drinking immediately. I'm in a halfway house because it was mandatory that I had a parole. Stipulation, right? Yeah. I had a parole to a halfway house. I'm trying to figure out how to work out of there. I get a job at Community Bridges. I had told, CBI shout out. Yep. Big shout out to CBI. You know what it is. Uh-huh. Van Buren. Van Buren. Yeah, oh, I was Van working Buren. on that one. Then I was working out on the one. I think it's on 99th Avenue. But, you know, all these guys were working a program. And I thought, what the fucking a program? I'm drinking. Uh, I'm, I'm dating the supervisor yeah. there. She got working me the recovery, job. Drinking. You know what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. She's yeah. using heroin. Um, 
and it uh, I'm, I'm off and running again. I, I'm not committing crimes at this point. Probably about four months in, I started committing crimes, but uh, I'm, I'm drinking. I'm doing what I'm not supposed to be doing. I got stolen dirt bikes in the garage. Um, you know, and, and it just starts to unfold from there. I'm pretty sure you show me a picture of you on a dirt bike with your shirt off. That's me. That That's was me. <laughs> that was me. Yeah. I can't deny it because yeah. of the tattoos. Yeah, That's... that was definitely you. Yeah. You know, so the technical violations galore. I mean, technical violations are, you know, not reporting, you know, missing UAs, uh, not calling in when you're supposed to call in, not showing up, um, you know, moving without asking and leaving the state. And those are technical violations. And that's usually how we start when we start to violate probation, ultimately abscound over a period of time. Because, you you know, really, you know, probation's easy. Like we're both on probation dude, and we're passing him a flying colors because it turns out when you don't get high, you show up, you have money, you hold the job, you take the classes you're supposed to take. Probation's actually really easy when you're doing the right things, but you weren't doing the right things. And ultimately that leads to you committing more crimes again and stolen dirt bikes. And, you know, your thing is stealing cars, man, and, and trailers and um, any quads and, you know, all those types of things. And, you know, ultimately, you know, through 2011 and through this period of time and you get off parole somehow, right, you, by a miracle, you get off parole and, you know, you decide you're going to go back to Minnesota. So you end up going back to Minnesota at the end of 2012. And, you know, what did that time in Minnesota look like 2012, 2013 when you when you showed up in Minnesota? So I, so I had a breakdown in 2000. Uh, uh, let me see, 12 November 8th, which is my birthday. Big shout out to the November 8thers. Uh, November. <laughs> you know what it is. Yeah, but uh, and, and I try to kill myself. Uh, I sure. was in a mess psychos psychosis. I didn't know what was going on. It, the world was really strange to me. And um, I took 220 Tylenol PM gel caps. The only thing I get my hand on at the time. I woke up in ICU. Mm. Uh, they offered for, to me to go to this treatment center. On the way over to the treatment center, I talked my girlfriend into why I don't need it. Sure. Um, and shortly after that, you know, I, I got all my clothes we're in her house. I pour bleach all over them. It's a nightmare. I got people coming over. I, I, I make it a trap house. Uh, and, and it was time for me to go. I got to go. And my buddy says he, he, that I met in prison. Prison says, why don't you come up here and move up to Minnesota with me? Dude, this is where all your family is. You should see them. We'll get you sober. We'll do all these things.